Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top quality personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash SiriusXM. Today's podcast is sponsored by June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game which transports you into a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance set in the glamorous 1920s. You'll play as June Parker as she embarks on a quest to solve her sister's murder. But that's not all. You'll let your imagination run wild as you get to customize your own luxurious estate island with expensive gardens and beautiful buildings. So, can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Welcome to Haunting History, the podcast that reaches back into the past for the events that shocked everyone. Tales of true crime, mystery, and the macabre. And when we're lucky, the stories were true crime, history, and the paranormal me. Now, who doesn't love a good ghost story, right? Welcome back to Hunting History Podcast. I'm your host, Kat. And I'm Haley. I learned something new recently that shook me a little bit. I always assumed that if you found a new podcast to listen to, that you would always just listen like you, if you just found it, you would listen to the most recent episode. And then if you liked it, you would go back and binge it all from the beginning. Mm-hmm. But uh, you don't do that either. No, like a true crime one. I usually just like find one that's familiar to me and then I listen to that one. And then I decide if I'm like just going from there or if I'm starting from the beginning or whatever. So most people don't even go back. They just listen to the new episodes coming out. So that's messed with me a little bit. I assumed that when we're talking to people about older cases or things that we've talked about in the past that they're familiar with it because they went back and listened. But no, apparently people, and I'd I'd be curious for people to write into us on social media or email and let us know what they do. But apparently it's more normal to listen to, like you just saw a social media post about a new podcast. You would listen to the most recent and then you would subscribe and just listen from that point forward. Well, those aren't true bingers then because then you don't, don't have anything else to listen to after you listen to that one. You would have to wait in a week. Right. But yeah. just in case, if you are the first, if you're listening for the first time to us, I need you to go back to the beginning of one of our stories. About two years ago, I had reached out to the public information officer at the Orange County, California Sheriff's Office. I introduced myself as a local podcaster and asked if I could speak to the investigator in charge of the case on Dorothy Jane Scott. After a sequence of events, I was connected to Bob, who was actually out with an injury at the time, but he was the current investigator who had inherited Dorothy's case. He suggested when we finally got to speak that we do another case first, the case of Carrie Patterson, the one that I want you to go back and listen to. 
It's a case that they had very little information on and one that Bob felt particularly close to. He knew Carrie's sister, Michelle, and in a weird turn of events, Haley and I both knew Michelle. Since then, Bob and I embarked on, have embarked on a journey slash friendship. I say friendship because I don't, I don't think there's really any days that go by that I don't talk to him about something. It's not always about cases. And like today, I think we've spoken at least four times and I get like, he answers a call every time I call him, he answers it. And if he doesn't, I'm texting him being like, where are you? Why are you not answering? Um, sometimes it's just cause he's in the bathroom and can't answer my call, which I don't know if I'm okay with that or not. Just answer my calls. He, he wanted to do, he wanted us to do the Carrie Patterson case. So we did. So go back, listen to Carrie Patterson and then come back and listen to this episode. In today's episode, it's a missing persons case from 1987. It's neither a cold case and it's not unsolved. It's very much solved and it's closed. But the case of Wendy Osborne has come up recently. If you live in California, you may have noticed a renewed interest in the media in regards to Carrie Patterson's case. The Orange County Sheriff just recently put out a press release that was picked up by news channels and newspapers. ABC7 and our local paper, the Orange County Register, both recently put out stories on Carrie's cold case. Again, like our podcast, both had asked for the public to reach out with any information or if they had any thoughts or ideas. Someone called in with a tip to look at the Wendy Osborne case. That's what's taking us back to this heartbreaking story, which it ties into other cases. And we're going to really lightly touch on two other cases of seven-year-olds. I don't know that they're related to these and, and I haven't explored them, um, but you'll understand why we, we did this story on, on Wendy Osborne. Wendy Rochelle Osborne, a petite 14-year-old, missed her ride to school on January 20th, 1987. She decided to walk to Tuffrey Junior High in Placentia. She wore glasses, had braces, and carried a pink backpack and red purse. She never arrived at school and her family never saw her again. And I'm going to read the following article from the Los Angeles Times dated February 3rd, 1987. Now, this is seven years after Carrie had gone missing and two weeks after she herself, Wendy, had gone missing. A partially decomposed body was found Sunday in the Carbon Canyon area of Chino Hills. And it was identified as that of 14-year-old Wendy Rochelle Osborne of Placentia, who disappeared on her way to school two weeks ago. The cause of death is strangulation. James Bryant, a spokesman for the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department and placenta investigator, said Monday they were investigating similarities between the Osborne child's death and the kidnapped murder of seven-year-old Pasadena girl. And I'm going to stop there for a second. The Pasadena girl they are referring to is Phoebe Ho, a seven-year-old girl in a pinkish red coat who went missing walking to school in December of 1986. Now, I don't know why they're connecting these two cases together. And I couldn't find any further links to them together. I mean, other than they were both wearing pink. I don't know. They were completely different age brackets. I mean, Phoebe was half the age of Wendy. But for whatever reason, um, she was found in Riverside. And Phoebe was, I mean, and Wendy was found in San Bernardino. So I don't know what the connection was. I didn't explore it a lot. Um, I think that someone else was actually found guilty of Phoebe. But that's one of the cases that we're not going to dive into. And back to the article. The full results of the autopsy began Monday afternoon on Wendy Osborne, and they were not available. The San Bernardino County Coroner's Office declined to comment on the cause of death, although early in the article they said strangulation. Um, Chief Deputy Coroner said that the slightly built teenager's body had no visible signs of trauma 
to explain how she died. Positive identification was made Monday by a comparison of fingerprints taken from Wendy as part of a Girl Scout project. The teenager's body was fully clothed when it was discovered Sunday afternoon on a rugged ridgeline by horseback riders. She had been dead for at least a day, possibly several days. Tidwell said some evidence had been recovered from the area, but he declined to elaborate. On Monday, about 30 sheriff's deputies on foot and horseback continued to comb the rugged terrain for clues. The body was found near the Western Hills Country Club on a hill overlooking a construction site for several custom view home lots, just lots, west of Carbon Canyon Road, which is about two miles northeast of the Orange County line. I'm going to stop there again for a second. The area where Wendy's body was found was a little over six miles from where Carrie's body was found. Placentia police viewed the body at the scene Sunday and brought back a piece of clothing to be identified by her family members. Investigators said Monday that they had not ruled out a connection with the kidnapping and murder of seven-year-old Phoebe Ho of South Pasadena, whose fully clothed body was discovered December 19th in a wood-covered field in the Glen Avon area of Riverside County. An arrest warrant has been issued in that case for James Warren Bland, 51, a parolee with a history of sex crimes who was last known to be living in the Alhambra area. So I'll dig into James Warren Bland later, but you'll understand why I stuck to the story that we are on right now. An autopsy showed that the South Pasadena girl who also disappeared while walking to school had been sexually molested and strangled. Again, no, Wendy was sexually assaulted. Um, they had initially said that they didn't know she had been, but she was sexually assaulted and there was DNA of the perpetrator found on her body. Wendy Osborne was last seen by her parents on January 20th when she left home shortly after 8 a.m. to walk to school. She never arrived at Taffrey Junior High, less than two miles away. Her parents, Jack and Carolyn Osborne reported her missing at 6.30 that evening. When the body was discovered, she was clad in the same clothes, a pink shirt with black markings, pink pants, and high-top shoes that she was wearing the morning she disappeared. Bryant added that the department was formed... Bryant added that the department had formed a task force to determine Wendy's whereabouts during the two-week period she was missing. Detectives will be in contact with the South... with the police department in Pasadena and Placenta, as well as Riverside County Sheriff's Department, to determine whether there's a connection between this case and the kidnap of Phoebe Ho. The article goes on to explain, goes on about another case of a missing girl found near the area was, where Phoebe was found. Um, it says Riverside County authorities said Monday that there has been no sign of a third missing girl, seven-year-old April Ann Cooper, who was last seen December 13th near Lake Elsinore. So it's comparing Phoebe and, I'm sorry, Phoebe in April to Wendy. Um, that's not what we're going to do, and it gets a little confusing, but apparently the the one thing this does say is a lot of girls went missing in 1980. It says the county sheriff's department said investigators were attempting to locate residents or workmen who, made, who may have seen any suspicious vehicles in the area, but few people live there. Few people live in the homes, much of, most of which are still under construction, which does that sound familiar to me, to you? Yeah. Carrie's Carrie lived in a new housing development too. Yeah. So the house, it it was more rural, like where her body was found was rural and people, and they were building houses on different lots where Carrie went missing was relatively rural and they were building new houses. It goes on to say the body was found about a hundred yards up a steep brush covered slope that rises from a trail winding behind Berkeley drive not far from Carbon Canyon Road, which connects northeastern Orange County with the Chino area. We haven't found anything else that 
would lead us to anybody, he said. So all that being said, the police determined that there was enough similarities between Phoebe and Wendy to all speak together, right? So now we have Placentia, Pasadena, San Bernardino, and Riverside Sheriff. And in the 80s, they didn't have a database to connect other cases together, which would have made sense. They're connecting Wendy's case to a seven-year-old, to two seven-year-olds. But they don't know because there is not a database, and they're talking to Riverside Sheriff, San Bernardino Sheriff, Placentia, and Pasadena. They don't know to talk to Fullerton, right? Yeah. Where Carrie went missing. So back then, all these cases were being handled by individual police departments, and they didn't really cross county lines. I mean, San Bernardino and Riverside is talking to each other, but they're not talking to Orange County Sheriff, which is the sheriff that took over for Carrie's case. Mm-hmm. And nothing that they're doing would have pulled in Carrie Patterson's case. Plus it was seven years later, right? Yeah. It's not like it had just happened recently. Like the other little girl had been found. Now I'm trying to figure out like, as I'm reading this, okay, why would someone send in Wendy Osborne's case? Because right now we have a girl that was missing from placentia, but the only similarity is the age, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And where her body was found because it was rural. It's still not the same area. Tarner Canyon was where Carrie was found. And Carbon Canyon, where Wendy was found, are only about six miles apart. But they're still not the same place. So why is this person connecting Wendy Osborne case to Carrie Patterson case, right? Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out, like, is there a connection to at least Fullerton, where Carrie went missing? Placentia and Fullerton and Anaheim, which comes up later, are all close to each other, but they're not the same city. So right now I'm going based, okay, they're connecting it because of the fact, the age, the girl's age, and the area where the body was found. Mm -hmm. So those two are similar. So I'm trying desperately to find a connection to Fullerton, and I found a huge one. And this is an article written by Rebecca Vesley on October 14th, 2002, on the website womensnews.org. One morning in 1988, on a mostly deserted street in Fullerton, 14-year-old Kelly, which, by the way, I'm only referring to Kelly by her first name. I'm not going to use her last name. It feels disrespectful to me. She's a living victim. And if you Google Wendy Osborne, it will come up. But it's still, I just feel, I just feel sometimes we cross the line with people's privacy. So I'm going to choose not to use her last name. 14-year-old Kelly was walking to summer school when she saw a man who gave her a bad feeling in the pit of her stomach. Despite her best instincts, she kept walking towards him. He approached her and forced her into a station wagon, which, by the way, I found out later with a knife. Terrified, she asked where he was taking her. Quote, unquote, he replied to the hills. In those deserted San Bernardino hills, he made her take her clothes off. He raped her. Then miraculously, he placed her pile of clothes in the dirt next to her allowed her to fetch her school books out of his car and drove away. She memorized his license plate and took a pen and paper from her school books and wrote it down. Within two hours, a 27-year-old methamphetamine addict named Raymond J. Bartlett was arrested. He pled guilty to kidnapping and other charges and was sentenced to 10 years in prison, and there was no trial. The article goes on to tell how Kelly, as a college student, made a documentary that went on to win an Emmy. By the way, it's called Forever 14, which... Ugh, these girls are babies. Yeah. It breaks my heart. She helped put a man behind bars that raped her, right? 
She was only 14. Her information is online. You can find Forever 14 online. Um, you have to buy it. You can't just watch it. Beyond that, I don't really want to bring attention to the living victim of a crime. I tried to find her to speak out to her, but I was unable to. And I don't know that I, I wanted to. Yeah, I don't. I don't. She speaks out about it. I know that she has said in numerous articles that it's healthy for her, but I don't. I don't know that she can help this case. That will be up to Bob to determine, not up to me to contact her and judge it back up for her. Um, I don't have any other details of that day other than I know that she walked about a mile and a half to find someone to help her, rescue her. Uh, and, and I don't know that we need to know any more of the details, but Raymond Bartlett was in prison in 1994 because he had been in 19... This is 1988 when it happened in 1989. He was convicted and sentenced to 10 years in prison. So in 1994, he was in prison. When um, There's two different articles. One says a lab technician. One says an investigator found a mistake in, the, in um, Wendy's file that her DNA had not been run again. So he had her DNA ran again. It was um, semen that was found on um, Wendy's body. This time he got a hit. The match was to Kelly's case and Raymond J. Bartlett. So the DNA from the semen that they got from Kelly and the DNA that from the semen that they got from Wendy matched. It was the same person. It is believed that not only did William Bartlett murder, rape, and sodomize Wendy Osborne, but that he may have kept her captive for up to two weeks. Ugh. It was determined after the autopsy that her body had only been in that field for 24 to 48 hours and she had been missing for a whole two weeks prior. I literally had a nightmare after they don't really reference that. Like I had to find that through like five different articles. They don't dwell on the fact that she was missing for two weeks, but her body was only found deceased a couple of days. So like you have to read a few articles where you kind of put it together that she was missing for a lot longer than she was deceased. When they went to Soledad Prison in California to basically arrest Bartlett for the murder and rape of Wendy Osborne, he denied that he knew who Wendy was or that he had done it. He had 100% admitted to raping Kelly. He had told the police that he had done it And that he had only done it because his pregnant girlfriend refused to have sex with him because she was pregnant. The thing is, is like, we know that he attacked Kelly in 1988. So now with the DNA, we know that he attacked someone a full year earlier than that and murdered her. The thing is, is that we're still not finding a connection to seven years prior do you know what I mean? Like now we have the Fullerton connection because he kidnapped Kelly in Fullerton, but we don't have a connection to anything prior to 1987. Yeah. And Carrie was way back in 1980. So I found his birthday. He was born January 18th, 1961. So in 1980, when Carrie went missing, he was only 19. So I found another article. And when I say there's articles, there's so many articles. I found an article about of where his personal parents were interviewed, and I want to read you parts of it. They were interviewed after Wendy? They found out about Wendy or after Kelly? 
this was after Wendy, not okay. after Kelly. They weren't interviewed after Kelly. They were interviewed after Wendy. And it says, murder suspect's parents surprised. Despite Raymond Barthlett's criminal past, the idea of him killing a placenta girl doesn't fit, quote unquote, his mother said. This article by Jeffrey Miller in the Orange County Register goes on to say, Raymond J. Barthlett's parents had talked with detectives. They knew about the DNA evidence linking their son to the kidnapping, murder, and rape of a placenta schoolgirl. Still, the news that he had been charged with murdering the girl, Wendy Osborne, hit like a mortar blast. Ray Barthlett of Victorville said it's inconceivable that his son could be a killer. Erlene Lampshire of Arizona said she no longer knows what to believe. I think of him as a little boy who was a charming, sweet, and cute, and in a happy family with brothers and sisters. This, his mother said, doesn't fit. Raymond J. Bartlett, 34, in prison for kidnapping and raping a 14-year-old Fullerton girl in 1988, is accused of abducting Osborne 14 as she walked to school January 20th, 1987. Her body, which bore signs of sexual abuse and strangulation, was found in Chinook Hills on February 1st, 1987. Authorities said three separate crime laboratories found that Bartlett's DNA matched evidence taken from Osborne's body. Ray Bartlett, 68, said his son is being railroaded. I'm wondering, after seven years, how did they keep his blood or his semen, he said. Where did they store it? How did they preserve it? If I had money, I could get an attorney and handle these things. Okay, first of all, I can't. Well, they it's have- like, the <laughs> it's insane to me that they're drawing the line at murder, but like, they're the rape and all that stuff. They're like, mm, yeah, makes sense. But murder, not our boy. Like, right. <laughs> Listen, he said um, that, that his son is being railroaded. And he said, if you're poor working people like we are, you're stuck. Raymond J. Bartlett's parents divorced when he was nine and he was raised by his father. Both parents said his childhood in Fullerton was typical. Remember that full of little league baseball and pop Warner football. However, a court psychologist later describes Bartlett's upbringing as dysfunctional. Now he went to Chino High School, but it said Chino Hill High School, but it says that he lived in Fullerton with his dad. So he was nineteen in nineteen eighty. Was he living with his dad in Fullerton? It sounds like it. Yeah. So it says that his his dad said he's tall, he's handsome, he's quiet, he's introverted. He had girlfriends, he had a job, everything was fine. So he's saying, and the parents are excusing it as this. It was during a methamphetamine binge in June of 1988 that Bartlett grabbed the Fullerton girl at knife point and raped her. Within hours, he was in jail and has not been free since. I think he just did it as a spur of the moment thing. And I think drugs played a part in his thinking. His father said, I asked, why did you do it? He said, dad, I've been doing drugs for five days straight. So yeah, they're willing to... Well, because they have an excuse. It's drugs. It's not really him. It's not really. Yeah, good point. Um, so like I said, there's a ton of articles on Winnie Osborne and Kelly and Raymond J. Bartlett. Most of them are the same, but as in repeating the same information over and over again, but they each all had different little small tidbits of different information. So for us to connect him even remotely to Carrie, we had to find him in Fullerton, which we just did, right? We don't know for a fact that he lived there in 1980. We do know that he grew up with his father because they said he did. In Fullerton, we know that he went to Chino High School, which is not, there's other high schools in Fullerton. So I don't know why he was going to Chino unless maybe he lived with his mom part of the time. But yeah. we do have a, a connect. 
He kidnapped and raped Kelly in Fullerton, from Fullerton. So we at least know that he had a connection to Fullerton, right? Right. In the article, in the newspaper article with his parents, this is a thing that kind of struck me as odd. We've always talked about Carrie that we wondered if it had, if her disappearance had anything to do with all the construction that was going on around her house. Like the houses were built, but people were, there were other areas that were being built up and people were doing further work on their houses, their new houses, right? Yeah. So it's always been a thing with us. In the article with his parents, his parents say that he worked as a plaster hanger, meaning he worked in construction. Yeah. It would not be weird for a plaster hanger to be working on a new development. Yeah. Carrie's parents had moved into a brand new house. There was recently, there was areas that were being recently developed. So the other thing that's really similar too is that the area that Kelly was walking from when she was walking to school, when he kidnapped her, was also a new neighborhood and was being recently developed. So now we have the connection of the age, where the bodies were found, the city of Fullerton, and the fact that two of the girls were walking from areas that were recently developed, right? That would have construction workers in it. And now we have Raymond Bartlett, who is a construction worker. So all these connections, right? So the one thing I don't, those are all obvious similarities. We don't know. I found a picture of Kelly as an adult. She's 22. I can't find a picture of Wendy Osborne. We know what Carrie looked like, but we do know they were all similar in age. Carrie was just 15. Um, Wendy and Kelly were 14. We did find an address in Fullerton. We found an address in Anaheim. The thing is, is that the Fullerton address, I traced that from his that where that house is to where Carrie went missing, it's only four miles. Oof. And not only that, where Carrie's body was found is less than 10 miles from where that he lived in Fullerton. And how far was Carrie's body found that Kelly and Wendy were? Uh, between the, t- where, where Kelly. Where, where he Kelly's, took Kelly. Yes. Where Kelly was sexually assaulted and where Wendy her remains are found or Carrie's remains were found or less than six miles. That's crazy. The timeline that was throwing me off though. He didn't kidnap Wendy and sexually assault her until 1987. Kelly was kidnapped in 1988, right? Yeah. So now we found the Fullerton connection. We found the similarities between the girls. We found the similarities between the remains site. We found the similarities with the construction worker, but how are we going back to 1980? Like he committed these crimes in 87 and 88. Who's to say he was doing these things way back in 1980? Yeah. So he was born in 1961. So in 1980, he would only be 19. We can find him in Fullerton, but ew, he's 19. Was he doing these things back in ni- when he was 19? So I went back to the article about the parents. So it says, um, and I'm just going to read it to you. Despite his son's travels, Ray Barthlett does not think his son is capable of murder. He's just the last person in the world you would suspect or think would do something like that. He said he's not a real mean person at all. He's always been really good to his nieces and nephews, which is going to make you gag in about three seconds. Last year, one of Raymond J. Barthlett's nieces told the family that he had molested her 14 years earlier. So this article was written in 1995. She had told them a year earlier that he had raped her 14 years prior. What year is that? Oh, God. That should be like 1980-ish, right? It's exactly 1980. 
So now we put him in Fullerton. We put him molesting his own niece in 1980. It all starts to make sense, right? Yeah. This article, just as a side note, Raymond J. Bartlett's six siblings are divided by the accusation of mort- the accusation of murder. His mother said, some don't believe it, but one sister fears he will escape from custody and harm her. It's torn the whole family apart. When asked what she thinks of the accusation, his mother pauses before she speaks. I will always love him. I will always support him. But if he's guilty of this crime, I think he should be in prison where he can't hurt anyone else. I don't know if he's guilty or not. That's up to the court. So I just I had to read that. I mean, clearly his family is delusional. Well, his, yeah, the, his own sister is scared of him, but his dad is like, he's a nice, kind man. Yeah, he's not mean. He's not a mean person is what his dad said. Exactly. Yes. So now we know that all the things connect together. He was in Fullerton, construction worker, new developments for the two of the girls were walking out of an area that had new housing developments. Their bodies were found only six miles apart. He only lived four miles from where Carrie went missing. I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot. And now I can see how someone would refer Wendy Osborne's case to the Carrie Patterson case. So I don't know. I don't. I, the thing is, is I, I don't know if the girls looked alike. There's just still too many coincidences. I think. Have you talked to Bob about all this? I did. I talked to Bob um, last night and um, we were talking about uh, Carbon Canyon and Toner Canyon not being very far. And I gave him all these different, all the different information that I found. And I asked him if he thought I was just a psycho armchair detective. (laughs) And he said, no, he said that there's significant reasons for the two cases there's enough similarities. Yeah. So now it's his job to find out where, if he can. Um, I mean, he has access to things that we don't, like DMV records and things like that, to find out if he really did live in 1980 in Fullerton. We suspect he did, but we don't know for a fact. The second thing is he'll be able to maybe get job records, maybe. I don't know if he can well, or not. That's what is so frustrating to me about this always, but especially now, is if we have this guy's name and we know who's in construction, like to me, maybe it's because I grew up in the age of technology and computers and databases, but I feel like you should be able to find out who the builder was on that new track for all three of them, I guess, but especially Carrie and be able to search who it was. And it's this guy. And was he working on this track? And was he an employee of yours? Like, it just seems like it should be something that can happen. Well, and that's the thing. That's the reason why they put out the press release. That's the reason why we're doing the podcast. Because people don't know what they know. Yeah. So like someone listening to this or someone who sees the article in the paper or the thing on the news can be like, oh, I worked for a development company back in 1980. That was part of the the homes that were being built in Fullerton. Oh, I had a guy named Ray that worked with me. I mean, the thing is, is he was not he was convicted of rape in 1988. So like if he worked somewhere in 1980, how many people knew, like if he wasn't working for the same place, do you know what I'm saying? Like if someone from my work right now, I found out raped someone or murdered someone and like, I would be all over it. I would remember that. But if he 
had moved, changed jobs over the years, people don't know what they don't know. What they people don't know what they know yeah. in regards to things like that. That's why it's so important when you think of something like if someone's listening right now whose dad or uncle or brother worked for a construction company that was working in Fullerton in 1980, ask them if they knew someone named Marie Bartlett. Like you don't know what you know unless we these kinds of things come out, right? Yeah. So I guess I just encourage if you think you know anything, just call. Like who knows if Carrie's case is related to Wendy Osborne's case and Raymond Bartlett did it, like could Michelle and Crystal get the answers they're looking for? We don't know yet. Yeah. But people, people always stop themselves. They don't want to get involved or they don't want to say something that's not accurate. But now we have a name. If you if you worked for a construction company that was working in Fullerton or Placentia or Chino Hills during 1980, 1987, or 1988, or you know someone who did, ask them. Ask them if they knew Bray Bartlett. If they can put Ray Bartlett in the same place that Carrie Patterson was, maybe people who have been waiting 42 years for an answer might get it, you know? Right. Have you talked to... Michelle about it all? I called um, I called Michelle last night because I didn't want to put this episode out without telling her first. I think that would be kind of weird for her. We haven't spoken. I don't think, I don't think Michelle and I have spoken for a, almost a year now. Yeah. Um, but I didn't want an episode, but we follow each other on Facebook. I mean, we're in indirect contact with each other anyways. We follow each other on social media, but I didn't want her to hear all this information that connects it to another case that I don't think she had heard about and she had not. When I called her last night and asked her if she had ever heard of the Wendy Osborne case, she had not heard of it. So, and I don't know that Bob had either because again, it was Riverside County, San Bernardino County. It hadn't connected to the Orange County Sheriff yet. So Bob didn't know about it either. And then Michelle certainly didn't know about it. So when I told her all the similarities and all the connections, she was interested. Um, She asked me for a picture of Raymond Barthlett and I couldn't, I actually just found one this morning at like 6.30 this morning. I was scrolling and I news. I mean, two people that do searches for people, hopefully not mass murderers or serial killers, but if you're looking for your own family or working on your family tree, like I always encourage everyone to do, make sure that you don't just search by a full name. Like I was looking for Raymond J. Barthlett. I changed the search to Ray Barthlett and it came up with his high school yearbook picture. Yeah. So I didn't find it till today. Michelle asked me last night to send it to Christy, who is our psychic medium who had read for Michelle back when we had done the episodes. I was going to ask you about that because I remember we did that walk with her and everything. Like if she has notes and stuff that we could relate back to. Well, she does. And not only that, I had sent her a picture And I didn't say anything. All I did just like an hour ago, I sent her the high school picture of Raymond J. Barthlett. And so he would be the age in this photo was taken in 1979. So he would look pretty much the same as he did in 1980 when Carrie went missing. Right. I sent her a picture and I just wrote any thoughts. She wrote back and said, associated with Carrie, question mark. Ooh. Which, by the way, she's done multiple cases with us. It wouldn't, not just that one. Right. And she said, tell me if I'm correct or not. I will dig deeper and I'll let you know. But all I did was write back yes. But yeah, she picked, we've done three cases with her, 
before she weighed in a little bit on Deborah Kidwell, but she definitely did Deborah Pajolka. She walked with um, Bob and I for the for Carrie's case, and um, she weighed in on Dorothy Dorothy Scott. So I sent her random pictures all the time, and she wrote back specifically Carrie. Yeah, associated with Carrie? Question mark. It's crazy. I know. So we'll see. There's there's more to the story. Again, Bob has to do his job. He'll be able to do a lot more things than we can do. If you have any tips or information, like I said, no, people don't know what they know. You have no idea what information you have. And someone else may be, to con- be able to connect things together that you you aren't aware of. Right, Haley? Yeah. Raymond J. Barthlett died in prison on November 26, 2006. He was 45 years old. I can't find his cause of death or which prison he was at at the time of his death. Barthlett was three months away from parole on the sentence he had received from Kelly's rape case when the DNA came back convicting him of Wendy Osborne's case. He was sentenced to life for murder. The follow-up for any more connections between the cases of Wendy and Kelly and a possible link to Carrie Patterson is ongoing. But as always, if you have any information or believe you may know something, regardless of how small it is, please call Bob Taft at 714-647-7045 or you can contact OC Crime Stoppers anonymously at 855-847-6227 or online at occrimestoppers.org. Thank you for listening to this episode of Haunting History Podcast. We love hearing from you, so be sure to like, follow, and comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Haunting History Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to all your favorites. Visit our website at hauntinghistorypodcast.com for more information on each episode, links to our Patreon page, and all of our social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Kat. I'm Haley. Remember, the living are far scarier than any ghost. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate.